I think the worst case scenario is that influencer, instead of being advocacy, where you know you have someone that's a trusted voice, it becomes just another form of advertising, right? It, it becomes another logo, a, another impression that people see and hear. Welcome to Subscriptions Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can uplevel your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Brad Hoos, who is the CEO of the Outloud Group. Brad, welcome to the show. Nick, great to be here. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, awesome to have you on. Excited about our topic today around influencer marketing. Very relevant topic right now. Everybody's talking about how to effectively use that channel. And so I'm, so I'm sure there's a lot we can talk about today. But why don't we start at the beginning here? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you guys do at Outloud. Sure. Yeah. So as far as me, I like to say I'm a recovering engineer. So I have a couple of degrees in, in engineering, worked in engineering for a number of years. And I'm also a recovering management consultant. Post-engineering, went into to management consulting and got a chance to work with uh, a number of great brands where, where I think I, I learned a ton about what's important to really move the needle for clients and brand partners. Really appreciate getting a chance to cut my teeth on that Monday morning flight to the client and Thursday night flight home every single week. And I'm grateful that not have to do that now. That's for sure. <laughs> right. That phase of your life is done. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So yeah, long meandering path, career path, so many of us and it landed at the the Outloud group. So we're, we're about a 60, 65 person influencer marketing agency. And in short, we help brands scale their word of mouth marketing. And we, the best way that we know to do that is through influencers. And there's a whole lot of different permutations of influencer marketing, depending on what a brand is trying to achieve. So we work with our partners to help them figure out what are you trying to achieve and then how can we go about it and then execute like mad to make things happen. Awesome. For those that are thinking about exploring this channel, talk to us a little bit about the process and then some of the different engagements and revenue models that are in place with influencers. Yeah, for sure. So really what is influencer marketing is actually a in-depth question. So I'll try to keep it high level here. It really Influencer marketing, people can think of it as affiliate marketing. I would actually consider influencer to be distinct from affiliate, but there are people who the only inf affiliate marketing they do is through influencers. And if folks aren't as familiar with that, the affiliate model is basically you pay someone once a sale has been made. So you could have a creator advocate for a brand and the creator only gets paid once they get a sale, whatever that sale means. So affiliate is part of influencer marketing. I would consider more like traditional influencer marketing means you're paying the creator to advocate for your brand to their audience, right? And so we would call this organic, but it's a little bit of a misnomer because the audience is organic, but you're, yes, you're paying the creator. So often when you think about organic, think, oh, I'm not paying anything. This is the audience is, is organic. So that's something that we do a ton of work with our brand partners on as well. And then we've seen a lot of shift towards doing more paid campaigns recently where you might be taking content that an influencer has created and then pushing it out from the creator's handle. So let's just, we could talk about many platforms, but let's just pretend it's Instagram. So as you're scrolling through Instagram, you'll see a piece of content. It shows from the creator's handle. Now under it, it'll say in, in clear, but relatively small letters sponsored. And, and so that piece of content, you can choose who the audience is, right? So you could only send that out to males age 18 to 35 and in, in the Northeast or whatever interest group you would want to you know, layer on top of that. 
So when a brand's thinking about what is influencer, really, we need to frame it in again. Okay, what are you trying to achieve? And then really start to think about, okay, what does this need to look like? But for the average brand, right? We, you know, which what is an average brand? I don't even know. They'd come to us and we'd start to make a recommendation of, hey, here's the best way that you can test to get into to influencer marketing. And in, I want to say most cases, but in a good chunk of cases, you're going to be working with an influencer where they're going to advocate for your brand because they're personally going to believe in it and have used the, the product. There's going to be a vanity URL that you're going to be able to have the creator use and share with their audience. And then we're going to be able to track the performance of that campaign that you've run with those set of creators and have some insights and be able to grow and evolve the, the campaign from there. So yeah, that, that's still pretty high level in terms of how we would think about influence marketing, but I think that's the starting point. Yeah. When you described it as affiliate marketing being associated with an end sale, that model's pretty straightforward. If the merchant wins, everybody wins in that scenario. But in these new sponsorship models that you were just talking about, are they now being paid on clicks or impressions or has that model changed? Good question. So generally speaking, this kind of goes back to, hey, what are, what are people trying to, to achieve? And so we work with plenty of brands that are really just looking at brand awareness, brand sentiment type of things. And then plenty that are just, that are really conversion focused. And when almost in all cases though, we're, tr we're running a campaign with creators at a certain scale, we're going to be charging a flat fee. And that flat fee is based upon the, that creator's historical performance. So one of the key metrics that will go into this is a CPM, right? What's the cost per thousand views that you're paying as a, as a brand? So that's going to be based on the historical. So if you're trying to you know, advertise on a show on the Discovery Channel Tuesday night at 7 p.m., we're not paying based upon how many views you get this, this week at 7 p.m., we're going to be looking at all the historical numbers. And then that's you know a very good predictor of what will happen this week. And then we're charging you a flat fee based upon that. So in most cases, that's how it works because influencer, especially the organic piece that I, that I referenced, it's really a full funnel activity. So you do have trusted people where you have an audience that's opted in to hearing their recommendations in a world where we all hate to be sold to and use ad blockers. So there's a lot of power in terms of the branded awareness. It's not just another impression. And then of course, like we're going to direct traffic that's measurable to a brand's website. And then there's conversion and retention that, that happens tied to that as well. Okay. Can you talk us through a little bit of an average process of working with you guys of somebody who wants to get into this channel, especially if they haven't done it for the first time, or maybe they've dabbled in it. Maybe they were burned that they just didn't see the results that they wanted to and are looking for you guys to help optimize it. How would you help them? Yeah, for sure. So Basically, again, what are the objectives? What are you trying to achieve? I sound like a broken record and it's getting one-on-one. Very important. But though. yeah, it, it, it is amazing how many times we'll get a brand come to us and be like, our board's telling us we need to be on TikTok. And it's cool. Why? What are you trying to achieve? Like, can you guys help us figure that out? Because we just know we need to be on TikTok. And we can take your money and spend it, but I want to make sure we're actually achieving something here. So we go back and forth. So yeah, average brand, here's how it works, right? So align on the ob objective. From that point, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to recommend some, a strategic approach. So we're going to recommend a, a platform and a series of verticals and whether it should be paid or, or organic. So let me bring that to an example. So we're working with a brand. They come to us, say, Hey, we do care about our brand. We're trying to build that, but ultimately like we got to measure conversions. 
So we'd say, okay, great. Ask a bunch of questions, get smarter. And we would make a recommendation saying, hey, we think we should do a round of an initial creators on YouTube, right? And next up, we think you should do podcasts, but we're, let's just start with YouTube to begin with. So we would agree to, to what's a budget where we would want to get started. So let's say, hey, we say 100K of, is what our budget is for Nuco. We've been doing influence marketing for over 15 years, and we have a ton of proprietary data from running these campaigns for brands. So when we look at a creator, we do look at likes, shares, and comments, but we consider those bullshit metrics from an influencer agency perspective. What we look at is in the past, when working with similar brands, how has this creator done in terms of driving their audience to a website and then driving conversion? And the only reason we have this data is because we've run these campaigns for, for brands for so long. So it's not through an API or anything like that. And, and that really helps us to make strong recommendations to our brand partner. So yeah, for that 100K budget, we're going to recommend 175K of creators to make sure the look and feel of those creators still fits with the ethos of the brand. And then we'll take care of everything from there in terms of reaching out to the creators, making sure they have the product or service. We have talking points that we would share with them. We have a call, which sometimes the, our brand partners will, will join. Most times they, they don't. And then we make sure we get the contracts in place. We get the previews and the content is good and in place. And we, we want to get the brand's thumbs up, especially early on. Once we've been working with brands for a while, we might approve the, the content as their agency. But out of the gates, we want to make sure that brand feels really good about the, the content as well. So that's the process in a nutshell. Yeah. How are, there's probably some obvious answers to this question, but maybe what are some of the more subtle measures of success, especially when you're talking about things like brand awareness and not necessarily conversion that you can attribute directly to an influ influencer's recommendation? Yeah. Let me start with the conversion piece and I'll answer the awareness piece because the conversion piece is really interesting because so Simply Safe is one of our clients. So I've been working with Simply Safe for, for years. Here's how the buying process works. You see an ad on YouTube and you think, oh yeah, that's cool. But you don't really take any action. Maybe you're taking the subway to work. A week later, it's in the middle of the night. And you hear a big noise. What the hell is that? And you get scared. Meanwhile, the next day, you just go to simplysafe.com. You don't shop. And you just have that in your brain and you just ma you make the purchase. So you don't go back and find the the URL that the, the creator had shared. And by the way, you might be using a different machine now than where you consume the, the content. And so when you make that purchase, what happens? Because you didn't use the vanity URL or a promo code, in theory, that's unattributable purchase. So what we've done is we've run and partnered with Avast, which is a massive online security company to, to do a clickstream study where we look at what happens after someone visits a, a particular URL? In this case, it's a YouTube YouTube link, which is very specific, which is specific to that individual video. And then we see what happens in the the hours and days and weeks. And we actually went out to, to six months, but with, within a week after watching that, the TLDR of the measurement is for every one person who uses the attributable link or or promo code. There's four total purchases. Is what we've seen as part of that. That's a huge deal. And we really want people to, yes, look at stated behaviors, the post-customer acquisition survey, but really look at observed behaviors. And that's one of the things that we've seen. Yeah. A, a lot of those, those metrics that you mentioned are pretty straightforward on the conversion side. And then of course, over time, we track what's the, the lifetime value of those customers as, as well. And then on the brand side, I think we really are looking at what's happening in terms of the efficiency of those views. How, how are we doing? 
in terms of getting the right audience in the right market. And that's a little bit of a, a art to say who's the right consumer. And then just what's the efficiency of getting that trusted advocate talking about the, the brand. And then we will still look at some of the mid funnel metrics in terms of are people going to the website? Are they spending time on there as a way to do it? And a lot of times we will do brand lift studies. I really like to do third-party brand lift studies, so not through YouTube or through Facebook or Meta, right? So it's a, a third party who doesn't have the incentive to say, yeah, our platform's working great. So we'll, we'll do a lot of that and you can get very nuanced. Folks listening are probably pretty familiar with brand lift studies in general. We can definitely look at brand awareness and brand sentiment and brand preference and all those pieces by looking at a group who's seen the piece of, of content or who and then looking at the control group of folks who have not seen that content in terms of what their perception is. I'm curious if you see brands frequently working with multiple influencers concurrently. And if they do, does that kind of muddy the waters a little bit in terms of attribution? Yeah. So we, I can't think of a, a case with where brands were not working with multiple influencers. Oh, okay. So y- yes, I think that's the right approach. And the way we d- we would address that is pretty straightforward. We'll just use specific vanity URLs for each creator. So if we were going nuco.com slash Nick, then we'd have nuco.com slash Brad, and we'd be tracking what's happening at slash Nick and, and slash Brad as, as well. And of course, we would look at it in aggregate as, as well. So that's how we would do it. Best practice now in 2023 as we're recording is to use that vanity URL and then have whatever incentive or discount that you may be offering creators through influencers already baked in because when you use the coupon code, it's fine, but one people can forget about it and two, it can leak onto retail me not or honey or or wherever the case may be. And we want to control that. But when you use a vanity URL and have it auto applied on your, you know, back end, then that allows you to, you know, really dial things in and get some good data to be able to track things. Okay. So to apply this to subscription a little bit specifically, and you already touched on simply safe right there, which is a of course, a subscription company in and of themselves. What do they see in terms of joins coming through this channel, maybe compared to other ones? Are these customers more likely to stay? Or are they less likely to stay? What have you guys seen in the data? Well, we've seen, and of course, I can't talk about any specific brand's data for obvious reasons, but consistently across our brand partners, one of the things that like we find that's really fascinating is that we see a significantly higher retention rate for customers acquired through influencers. And my belief for why that's happened is twofold. So one is that influencers have taken the time to really explain in layman's terms how, or maybe very technical, whatever their audience is, but in a way that connects to their audience, why they like the product and what the so what is to their life, right? And so when you really understand the value of something, you're more likely to capitalize on that value and use it over time. And the the second reason I think this is the case is that most purchases from influencer comes from those who are long-term partners with brands. So you may test with a whole bunch of creators. Think of it like a VC model a little bit where, hey, you're going to have, if you're running with 10 creators, two of them are probably going to do fantastic. Five of them are not going to do well and three are going to do so-so. And when you look at when you look at the, all the purchases from those 10, most of them are coming from those top creators. Brands are going to continue to renew with those top creators who are doing great work for them. So what we tend to see is that there's long-term partnerships with the creators who deliver the most sales. And over time, 
when you're already a customer, if I purchased something six months ago from, from a subscription service, but now that creator is continuing to advocate for it, they're probably talking about some different ways that they use the, the product, or maybe it's just continued to be like front and center of their mind that it's cool or it's credible, whatever the case may, may be. And that, that makes folks to be a little bit stickier. So I think that's a really powerful thing, which you're not going to be able to find out for weeks or months or really years until after you've been running the, the program. But shortcut, we've seen it pretty consistently around like 15, 20% better, better attention rates than the, the average consumer. Yeah, that's some interesting data right there. And I think most people think about influencer marketing for customer acquisition, but you can also look at it as a, re a retention tactic as well. If they're continually seeing that person that they're following, using the product, talking about it in different ways, even reminding them that they have it, right? Sometimes this is the problem with subscription. People sign up, they forget that they've got it, and then they cancel because they're frustrated they were paying for it. The name of the game really today is all about engagement, keeping those customers using it, not asking them not to or hoping that they don't. So yeah, considering it as a retention channel as well is, is something that other channels just can't do. I think that ultimately the secret sauce of influencer is trust, right? And when you enter into trust into a relationship, that's probably going to be a better, longer lasting uh, relationship. It is meaningful, right? It's not everything, you know, you want to acquire customers from a lot of different acquisition channels, but that's one of the, the clear positives for influencer. What do you think about, and I'm sure there's some apprehension of so many influencers doing paid marketing now of consumers feeling they're just getting paid to push this product. Like, where do you see consumer sentiment with influencers and where, where do you think it's going to go? Could it get saturated and people just stop or start distrusting what influencers are pushing? It's a really interesting question. It's one that I spend a lot of time trying to think about and, and understand. And I think the worst case scenario is that influencer, instead of being advocacy where you know you have someone that's a trusted voice, it becomes just another form of advertising, right? It, it becomes another logo, another impression that people see in here. I think there have been a number of, I don't want to say, say bad players, but folks who, you know, creators who are willing to shill for most any brand that's out there. And, and I think the true endorsement has weakened for a number of creators. But that said, there's a lot of creators out there who still really have that connection with their audience. And from my perspective, I get a chance to see the creators who say no the most are usually the most effective, right? Which makes complete sense because yeah, it does. No, I'm not willing to do that brand or that brand, but oh yeah, this brand is really something that, that I'm into. And so when creators really do take that trust and advocacy to, to heart, oh, it, it works really well. And yeah, I, I run an influencer agency, so it's fair for anyone to take this with a grain of salt, but I've seen it. That's where there's a ton of value in being able to work with the partner who has the data of, hey, who are the creators that really do perform historically? And we don't bat a thousand even with that, that data, but to be able to make sure you're really seeing who are the creators who have the trust of their audience, you know, and like, you can't pull a data field on trust. That's tough to pull, but historical performance. So I think it's a real concern for the industry. There's no doubt about it, but there's so many creators that are still really care about their audience. I mean, their audience is their business. And so I, I feel like there's actually now a trend for creators to really care about that more and more. But it's not everyone, right? Creators are a massive group of folks now, and there's a million different perspectives in, yeah. in the influencers. Uh, I'm curious what your criteria is when you're scoping out prospecting influencers. I mean, is there some that 
might have a million followers, but you're like, nope, this doesn't meet your criteria for various reasons. How do you guys like filter through them? Yeah, here's how we do it, especially with the new brand. In 90% of cases, we're only going to work with creators that we've worked with in the past out of the out of the gates. Because these are creators that we know we know have performed and, and done well for other brands. So I think that's a starting point. And so we're big on testing. Influencer is test and learn platform. I could get into how it's actually very similar to others in that regard, but it's, since it's not programmatic um, in the way it's set up, you, you kind of have to take different chances and, and learn in different ways. But we'll run an initial set of creators. And then based upon what's working, we're going to then identify, okay, here's some of the commonalities of the creators who did work. And now we're going to find similar channels, right? Maybe we find that automotive and outdoors channels are working really well. Now it's okay, great. Let's try to find channels that fit with what we've learned and seen to be successful. And then we'll leverage our data to the extent possible. I mean, we have tens and tens of thousands of creators that we've you know, worked with, but there's so many creators out there. So there's probably other creators who we haven't worked with, but now they're similar to where we've seen success for this particular brand and we'll iterate and, and expand and, and evolve from there. Yeah. When doesn't influencer marketing work? Like, what is it just not a good fit? Yeah, for sure. It's not a good fit if you're like a commodity, you know, product. Like, it really has to be something that's differentiated. It really works better for B2C than it can actually be pretty effective on podcasts still, which podcasts, quick tangent. We see it to be influencer marketing. You can also just run programmatic ads that are pre recorded and spliced into podcasts. But we're, when I say podcast, I'm talking about host read and influencer endorsement inside of inside a podcast. So I think B2B is something you have to you know, go into it with caution. And then I would say early brands, you got to make sure you really optimize your low-hanging fruit first. So before you get into influencer, I'd really recommend that brands have you know maxed out their paid search and their paid social. So you really want to have those in a pretty good spot before you you go to try to explore influencer in general. There's been exceptions to that as well. But I think if you're just starting out, there are exceptions, but assume you're not that person. And for from an influencer perspective, I would recommend getting some other baseline marketing channels in, in place before you, you do influencer. Gotcha. Any other advice for a brand, a merchant that's thinking about this channel, things that they need to prep or be ready for before exploring this? I think there's a mental shift that needs to to happen, which is honestly the most important thing. So I could talk about more tactics and vanity URLs and the talking points, but ultimately a brand needs to recognize that you're transitioning from brand voice, where the pentameter with which to speak, the words, the colors, what to say, what not to say. And now you're moving into brand advocacy and you really need to let go <laughs> and let creators describe the product in a way that works for them and their audience and not be like, oh, you can't say sticker. We have to say wall adhesives. No, L let them say whatever they want. They're a brand advocate. They're not using your brand voice. And so I think that's the toughest thing where we, when we see a brand be like, oh, I just don't think they're enthusiastic enough about the product or the lighting isn't really good in this video, right? It's like, okay, the creators own the connection to their audience. They know how to develop the content. We don't want something that doesn't fit with how they, they do things. And I think if you want to get into influencer, you have to be willing to let go. And if you're willing to let go and let creators do their thing, you can have a lot of success. But I, I honestly think that's one of the biggest challenges upfront for a lot of brands is they care so much 
and they think they know how to shape their brand and they do, but they don't know how to shape like brand advocacy for with that creator. And so being willing to let go is a really important part for brands getting into this. So when it goes wrong, though, it can go pretty wrong, right? Of course, there's the Bud Light example and what happened with them. Do you think that actually added fuel to their fire for we want to clamp down more on what these influencers are are saying? Or are you seeing them still accept that? Let that person speak in their voice. Yeah, it's it's a a really good question. I think, hey, brands need to understand what they're going to stand for and then make sure they're choosing partners that reflect that, right? Whatever the case may, may be. So by and large, I would not recommend that brands partner with very politi- like political influencers. Right? I would not recommend that they work with prank channels or shock jocks, right? Where it's like, no, they're, the whole point of their channel is to like scare people or just entertain people with these crazy things. Yeah, something can go south on that very quickly. And it did with Jake Paul. This is going back a couple of years now. But I think Choosing the right influencer and understanding how it fits with your brand is a su- super important. But yeah, I, I hesitate to say this out loud here, knock on wood. I mean, we've been doing this 15 years and we, we've never had a significant issue with that because I think it's important to be, be very clear about the pros and the cons of working with an, an individual influencer. But hey, like Tiger Woods was a perfect brand ambassador and Telly wasn't. So like there is definitely risk that comes with partnering with any third party for your brand. And I think it's just making sensible, calculated risks in terms of doing that. And I think there's a difference between saying something that's insensitive in in general and saying something that's not quite on brand with how you would message something. It's yeah, screen out for anything that's insensitive, of course, but for something that's a gray area in terms of exactly how you'd present your brand, give a ton of grace there. That seems like good advice. My last question for you, Brad, is this is still relatively speaking, at least one of the newer channels for for marketing and acquisition. It's gone through a, a lot of change already, but what do you think this looks like in the next three to five years or maybe even beyond? Is this continue to be a top of mind, very viable channel? Is it, you know, they're going to be an influx of too many creators with too many followers and you don't know where to put your dollars or what does this look like a few years down the road? Yeah, I don't see the industry doing anything to slow down, right? I think third-party advocacy is, is something that's you know really important. I, you know, I'm not smart enough to be able to forecast the future in terms of what platforms will be big, right? YouTube is, I would argue, is still king for video, both long and with a combination of long and, and short form there. But like, hey, will, will that continue to be the case in, in three to five years? I, I don't know. But I do think we'll see evolution. I think we'll see more convergence of traditional influencer marketing that we talked a lot about with paid and user-generated content. I think there's convergence of those three areas is something that's likely to happen. I think there's going to need to be more accountability in terms of the the measurement and the tracking that's happening with influencers. And I think we're going to continue to see pricing normalize for influencers because there are so many people that want to be influenced. In fact, I think it's the number one to be in a YouTuber is like the number one profession for like children, like age 13 to 17 or so, something like that. I don't remember the exact stat, but there's going to continue to be a ton of creators out there. And I think those that really have that trust from the audience are going to be, be winners, but there's going to be a lot of, of noise. So I think it's going to be tougher and tougher to really identify those creators who, who really have that trust for their audience and their audience's best interest at heart. So I think there's the industry is going to need to continue to evolve and adapt to make sure we're 
targeting those individuals and not just getting sucked into another impression or just advertising. Yeah, yeah. You can't even think about what the noise is going to be like. It feels like it grows exponentially every year. So yeah, cutting through, it's going to be more and more difficult. Brad, this has been a lot of fun, a very interesting conversation. I've learned a lot today, but for anybody listening who wants to more learn more about the group or uh, maybe just wants to get in contact, had some questions about what we talked about today, where are the best places to go? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Appreciate that. And great conversation to you as well. Best place for folks to find us here is just our website, outloudgroup.com. If you want to shoot me an email personally, I know it says brad at outloudgroup.com. Feel free to reach out to me and we're always happy to talk influencer strategy. Awesome. Brad, thanks again for the time today and uh, best of luck to you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nick. Appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.